How wonderful to be together this morning. <clears throat> Let's turn together to 2 Corinthians. We continue our series, Messy Grace. Welcome to those watching online as well. Great to have you online. And um, <clears throat> so we're going to continue the message that we started last week, Grace Available and Accomplishing. And uh, this message has gone from a one-parter to a two-parter, and it just got signed for another message. So now it's a three-parter. Isn't that amazing? It's like you know your favorite TV show gets signed on for another season. This sermon has been signed on for another season. Um, but this passage has proved unexpectedly rich to my heart at least. And I hope it will be to yours as well. So we're not in a hurry. Um, let's get right into God's Word. I'm read, let's begin just by reading verse 1. That's kind of our framing verse. Working together with Him then, that is with God, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The word vain means empty or useless. And last week we asked the question, can God's grace be received in such a way that it makes it empty or useless? Can God's grace fail to accomplish what God means it to accomplish? And I shared last week, the answer is no and yes. In the big picture, God is sovereign. Don't ever think that God is kind of, you know, just two steps ahead of us, running breathlessly, trying to keep up, trying to do, oh, no, I didn't see that coming. God is sovereign. You know, not one molecule in the universe moves a fraction of uh, anything apart from the sovereign power and allowance of God. So God is sovereign. Nothing derails His plan. Nothing empties His grace of its power. Nothing God does is empty or useless. So that's the big picture answer. But the small picture answer is that God's Word indicates that people can position ourselves more or less in the flow of God's grace. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the Pharisees rejected the purposes of God for themselves. Now, the Pharisees couldn't stop the purposes of God. In fact, by rejecting the purposes of God, they furthered the purposes of God. But they rejected the purposes of God for themselves. The river of grace was flowing powerfully. They refused to get into that river. Now, when someone receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, saving grace does it all. It does it all. We are saved by grace through faith. And we don't add any effort to that at all. We're not like a part of that equation except to believe in Jesus Christ and receive by faith the work He has completed. Saving grace accomplishes everything in that very moment 
you will never be more saved than you are the very first moment you believed in Christ. Praise God for saving grace. Amen? We don't have to sit around and say, am I doing enough? Am I, if I, am I this enough? Am I that enough? If I, thank God for saving grace. But serving grace is a little different. Paul writes to the Christians in Romans chapter 12 that God has given us each a measure of giftedness, of grace gifts, and then he urges us to diligently steward that grace. It's not automatic that the serving grace that God gives us will accomplish all that God gave it to us in order to accomplish. The grace is available, but it, if it sits on a shelf dormant, if we're not using it, as I said last week, if God has gifted you to build up the body of Christ, but you never use those gifts to build up the body of Christ, that grace is not accomplishing what God gave it to accomplish. When we by faith and obedience begin to take it off the shelf and begin to walk in it and step in it, that grace begins to accomplish abundantly. God's grace expands in our lives, serving grace, as we use it. And it shrinks in our lives as it sits dormant in our lives. So with that as a backdrop, starting at verse 3, Paul lays out his ministry resume and its exact opposite of empty grace. It's accomplishing grace. It's grace accomplishing and we see in chapter 5 that Paul's ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. It is bringing people back to God. Now, God did that work. God has reconciled the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. But He then calls us as ambassadors of Christ to bring that message and to be ministers of reconciliation in the world. And that's Paul's ministry. And here he gives his resume and essentially begins by saying, I don't want to do anything that makes it hard for someone to come to faith in Christ. And I want to do everything possible to help people come to Christ. And so verse 3, Paul writes this, <clears throat> We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. You know, at first glance, it can kind of look like Paul is bragging about how good he is at his ministry. I mean, look what he says. We put no obstacle in anyone's way. I wish I, wish I could say that. I've, I've put a few obstacles in people's way along the way. And we commend ourselves as servants of God in every way. It sounds a little more like Paul accomplishing than it does grace accomplishing. But I want you to listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. 
He writes this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. wasn't empty. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. There is a beautiful synergy of God's grace, serving grace at work in our lives as believers where it's His grace. By His grace, I am what I am. By His grace, you are what you are. Don't compare yourself with someone else. By God's grace, you are who you are and what you are. How God's gifted you. What God's called you to. By God's grace, that's who we are. And we're not meant to dissect the work. You know, like it's not like sitting around and saying, I'm not doing anything until God tells me to do it or God does it through me. Paul says, I worked harder than anybody. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. We can't dissect what's the grace of God and what's our work. We work hard. But it's God's grace. But it's us working. But it's God's grace. Don't dissect it. Just enjoy it. Just serve. And, and don't expect that it's only God's grace when you're hearing angels and lights are flashing and, and, and all kinds of crazy things. Sometimes you will feel like death warmed over. You'll feel like this is so empty, so useless, and yet God empowers it. Because His grace is working and accomplishing. And let's not forget that God's heart, His big heart, is to reconcile men and women to Himself through Jesus Christ. And He wants to use our lives and our influence to do that. So Paul says, I put no obstacles in anybody's way. I do everything I can to commend the ministry of God to people. But what does that look like in real life? How does that, how does that grace look when the tire hits the road? When the rubber hits the road? Well, Paul's about to tell us because he doesn't end his sentence. He doesn't end his thought there. There's a colon there, not a, a period. The colon tells us, I'm about to tell you how the grace working in me makes the line clear for people to know the reconciling power of God. And he outlines four ways that this happens. And we're only going to be able to get to two. So, hence the third part of next week. But two ways we're going to look at this week. That grace accomplishes a life that proclaims Christ. And the first way he says is grace for endurance in hard times. Look with me at verse 4. After the colon... He goes on to say this, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, 
hunger. That's quite a list, isn't it? That is quite a list. Um, there used to be a commercial some years ago that showed some kind of normal dude trying to imitate uh, an NFL athlete. And invariably, whatever they did would fail horribly. And the tagline was, you wouldn't make it in pro football. Well, we wouldn't make it as an apostle either. I mean, this is a part of his experience as an apostle. We wouldn't we can't relate to all the hardships and the accumulation of hardships that Paul experienced. But what Paul is describing is intense hardship, intense pressure, intense stress, intense pain. And we can all relate to that to some degree or another. We all know what it's like to lie awake at night with some worry pounding away at us. He says sleepless nights because there were things pounding at his heart, things pounding at his mind that would make it hard for him to sleep. You know, insomnia is a form of suffering. Do you know that? When it's extended. We all know what it's like to be physically afflicted with sickness or some other affliction that, that weakens us and, and just can ravage us. We all know what it's like to, be, to watch a loved one go through some suffering, some deep trial. And we feel so helpless because we can't do anything about it except, except love them and be there with them and pray for them. And then there's the man-made. Many of Paul's hardest trials were man-made. They were man-made. They were people who viciously hated him, opposed him, attacked him because of his message of faith in Jesus Christ. And many of our hardest hardships will, will involve people. Opposition. Conflict. Misunderstanding. Rejection. Criticism, gossip, belittling, betrayal. Many of the deepest wounds we'll ever experience will not be to our physical body. It will be to our hearts, our minds, our souls. And the weapon will be words. Paul describes pressure, stress, Worry, pain, all this pounding at the heart. And here's some good news in this. At the very point that hardship intersects with our lives, there is great opportunity there for the grace of God to be displayed in our lives. The grace isn't that we have hardships. Everybody has hardships. The grace is that we have endurance in hardships. He writes, by great endurance. That's what commends. 
That's what doesn't put the obstacle. By great endurance in hardships. I remember as a kid, my, my uncle and I, now my uncle Mike is only two years older than me. Most, you know, usually when you think of an uncle, you think of somebody 15 years older. He was two years older than me, so we kind of grew up as brothers, and we used to wrestle all the time. And we just would wrestle all the time. But here's the thing, my uncle Mike was always stronger than me. He was always stronger. So we'd start wrestling, and invariably at some point, he'd have me down on the ground, my face kissing grass or dirt or whatever, rug, and he would say to me, do you give up? And I'd thrash around helplessly. I'd say, no. And so he'd just keep me there, getting you know, to know the ground. And then he'd ask again, do you give up now? And at some point, I'd tire out and I would say, I give up. Well, that's exactly what pressures, that's exactly what hardships want to do. They, want, they say to you, do you give up now? Do you quit now? That's exactly what they want us to do. Are you going to quit? Are you going to give up? Are you going to stop? And quitting can look a lot of different ways. It can, stop, it can be to stop trusting God actively. It can be to stop telling people about Jesus Christ or rounding off the edges so we don't offend people with Jesus Christ. It can be to put our gifts on the shelf because maybe we tried using our gifts and we fell flat on our face. It didn't go well. So we put them on the shelf. We put it, we put it up there where it sits dormant, but also we don't risk falling again on our face. That's quitting. That's stopping. The hardships have gotten their way. I think a lot of grace sits dormant in the church today because... People had a hard experience. And they gave up. Quitting can look like complaining. It can look like becoming bitter against God. Pressure, stress, worry, pain, hardships. Pounding away at us. Taunting us and saying this. Do you give up now? Do you quit? The grace of God comes in in a powerful way and He gives us endurance so that we may be tired, we may be hurting, we may be discouraged, we may feel like giving up, but we say, no, I am not. The grace of God gives me endurance to keep walking through this valley, this trial, this affliction, this worry, this insomnia, whatever it is, I'm continuing on. Remember that song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back? That is grace accomplishing in our lives. Some of the most powerful examples I've had the privilege of seeing over the years, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, and Colleen, I appreciate your word so much today. We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of the most powerful examples of the Spirit of God working in people's lives that I have seen over the years is the grace, the power to walk through tremendous hardship and endure. And trust God. 
and love God. I've seen the Spirit give people strength, faith, even joy in long, deep, and dark valleys. And it is a testimony to the grace of God. Now, grace doesn't mean they don't feel the pressure on their hearts. It doesn't, it doesn't mean the stress doesn't pound away at them. It doesn't, it doesn't mean they don't cry tears of, of sorrow. It doesn't mean that they don't get discouraged. It doesn't mean that they don't struggle or even question God at times. But they keep going, they endure. And guess what? People are watching. Because there are people who are also going through trials. And, and some tremendously deep heartaches around us. And it's at that moment, they're watching. And when they can see you bless God, even in a hard time, and, and praise God, and follow and serve, it's a wonderful testimony. It can, God can use that to reconcile someone to Jesus Christ, to, give, to bring them to faith. So grace accomplishing is grace for endurance in hard times. But secondly, grace accomplishing is grace for retaliating through opposite weapons. Read with me verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> Continuing his thought, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. You know what? We're not, we're not used to hearing the word retaliate in a positive way in the church. It might surprise you that I'm encouraging you that God wants you to retaliate. <clears throat> In fact, He wants to give you grace for retaliating. And He's also given you and us, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, He's given us weapons for retaliating. Paul says we have weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left hand. In Roman battle, the right hand was typically used for offense and the left hand was used for defense. So you would carry a sword in your right hand. You'd carry a, a shield in your left hand. You would attack with the right. You'd defend with the left. <clears throat> Paul says he has given us weapons for the right hand and for the left. When attacked, we defend and we retaliate. And it's okay to retaliate. But here's the thing. God has given us unusual weaponry to retaliate with. We defend and we retaliate with the opposite weapon with which we've been attacked. We defend and we retaliate with the opposite of what we're attacked by. 
When we're attacked, our flesh wants to retaliate in the worst way. And it wants to retaliate with the same weapons with which we were attacked. It's natural. If somebody insults us, we want to insult them back. If somebody embarrasses us, we want to humiliate them. If somebody hurts us, we want to what? Hurt them back. It's natural. It's called payback. And we can put a Christian shine on that. But if we're honest with our hearts, when I want to do that, it's my flesh. God puts different weapons in our hands to defend and retaliate with. The opposite weapons. And we see it in Paul's life. We see it in Jesus' life. But look detailed at verse 6 and 7. You can look through the verses, but I'm going to, I'm going to fill out what we see in Paul's life. When, Paul, when people attack Paul with impure motives, Paul retaliated with purity. When Paul preached the Gospel and he was opposed by people that were living in the blindness of spiritual ignorance, he answered their ignorance with knowledge. People raged at Paul. Anger. Cruelty. He defended with patience. He retaliated with kindness. There were some of his attackers who were literally filled with an evil spirit. It wasn't just flesh and blood. It was evil, demonic spirits filling their hearts with a hatred and rage. Same with Jesus. Paul blocked and he parried with the Holy Spirit. They hurled hatred, he hurled love. They spoke lies, he spoke the truth. They came at him in the power of Satan, and he answered them with the power of God. I mean, we'll see this later in his book. He'll say, listen, there are people saying I'm weak in person who are saying I'm not impressive at all at just weighty letters and nothing else. He says, I, I hope I don't have to come to you in the power of God and show you His power. But he didn't answer demonic powers with demonic powers. He answered it with the power of God. Maybe you're in a battle right now. Someone has hurt you. And everything inside of you wants to hurt them back. Someone has torn you apart with criticism, talked about you behind your back, accused you unfairly, betrayed your trust, you name it, whatever it is. And your flesh wants to retaliate in kind. You know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I want to do. And I suspect many of you as well, our flesh wants to retaliate. But when we aim to hurt people, we hurt our Gospel witness as well. When we get our eyes on the attack, we lose sight of the person. Paul says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our fight isn't with flesh and blood. We lose sight of a person that's created in the image of God. A person for whom Jesus Christ died for. 
And we lose sight, we can lose sight of what God's grace wants to accomplish in us and through us, and that is to help reconcile them to God. Now, I feel like a word of caution is needed here. This does not mean that we become a welcome mat to everybody. That wouldn't be loving to do. It's not loving to let somebody use you as a welcome mat. That wouldn't love them and it wouldn't love yourself. It wouldn't be loving to anybody. We don't need to allow ourselves to be exploited or abused or taken advantage of. We could, we can, we should protect, defend, particularly loved ones or those who are defenseless. There is a nobility in defending the defenseless. What I'm saying is this is not a call to wimpiness, okay? This is not a call to become, you know, wet dish rags, just kind of like whatever people do, I'll take it and I'll just whatever. It's not that. That wouldn't be loving. Sometimes we need to cut off a relationship. Jesus did it. Paul did it. Paul tells us, when a divisive person's in your midst, warn them once, warn them twice, then have nothing to do with them. Cut it off. That's what love looks like. When someone is abusing a relationship, when someone is divisive, when someone's trying to sow disharmony and, and poison and toxicity, you warn them, you give them a chance, you try, but then you put it off because it isn't healthy. I believe in tough love. I really do. Sometimes truth cuts deeply. Sometimes love has to say hard things. Sometimes we need to let consequences, really hard consequences, fall on someone. But our hearts should never be engaged in anger, bitterness, vengeance. When we're attacked, when we're opposed, we want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us fight with His weapons, not ours. And that takes heart work. That takes heart work. Letting the Spirit of God do His work. As Colleen said, will we let the Spirit of God rework our heart? Remake our heart? And let's not forget, you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. And as a new creation, God has given you new weapons to fight that battle with. Weapons that counter the attack, not mirror the attack. We retaliate against hatred with love. When someone curses us, we bless them. We retaliate against Satan's power with the power of God. And God's purpose for these weapons is not to destroy that person, but to save them. And His second purpose is that to protect us from the soul-destroying poisons that some of these weapons, when we pick them up, will inflict upon our own souls. When we allow the poison of hatred to fill our heart, Sinful anger, bitterness, pride, a desire for revenge. When those things fill our hearts, 
They're poisons. They're poisons. They eat away at our hearts. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, never repay evil for evil. That would be fighting evil with evil, and no matter what happens, evil wins. Instead, he says, we are to overcome evil with good. We fight with different weapons. We retaliate with the opposite of what we've been attacked with. As we close, two graces, endurance and hardship, retaliating with the weapons of God. These are two things we can't do in our own strength. These are two things we can't say, I'll do this for God. We need God desperately. God's grace is available, flowing, and ready to accomplish as we call upon Him, as we declare our dependence on God, our need for God, as we ask Him to fill our hearts and do the heart work to change our hearts where the bitterness is turned to forgiveness, the anger is turned to love, the vengeance is turned, as Paul says in Romans 12, to a desire to do kindness instead of harm to them. Feed them when they're hungry. Give them drink when they're thirsty. For vengeance is God's says the Lord. So let's talk to God. Let's confess our needs. If you're, if you're in a place where either of these are like right where you are, the hardships, the attack, let's go to God. Because He's got grace. He's got it available and He's ready to accomplish powerful things in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I have no doubt that there are those listening right now who are going through or have been through a a hardship, a trial, a valley. And Lord, it's it's they're losing sleep. Their mind is distracted. Maybe their spirit and heart is discouraged. And I just pray, Father, that you will, you will pour into their heart fresh grace to endure, to believe you, to trust you, to keep going, to put one foot in front of the other, to not give up, and, and to experience by your Holy Spirit joy, not necessarily happiness, but joy in the midst of that trial. And I pray for that dear brother or sister who at some point, maybe right now, maybe in the past, was attacked and I pray that you give them fresh weaponry to fight off that attack. Again, Lord, with the wisdom that's necessary in relationships. But I pray that their heart not be polluted by the things that 
really do destroy and eat away at our souls. But I pray that, Father, you fill them with the Holy Spirit of power, of love, of kindness, of patience, the fruits of the Spirit, and that they parry those attacks with the opposite weapon. And by doing so, they show, they glorify Jesus Christ in a world full of people attacking and counterattacking. Where there needs to be healing, I pray there's healing. And Lord, we give you all the glory. We do declare one final time, we can't do this, Lord. We're looking for power that's not our own. We're not looking to dig deep. We're looking to reach high. We need it from you, God. But thank you that you're generous and ready to give. The grace available, becoming grace accomplishing in our lives. We give Jesus all the glory in his wonderful, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. I pray that the Lord will strengthen you by His Holy Spirit and that you will sense the love and presence of Christ.